Well, if you are just joining us this Sunday where we are at, we're in our second week in a new series called Orthodox Foundational Truths to Treasure. You guys love this feedback. <laughs> we're doing some good stuff. Uh, and and we, we began asking, last week, began asking the question, how do we know anything? And we, we answered it, as you might expect, uh, through God's Word, through the Bible. Um, and uh, it, we wanted to say that the Bible is our compass. Uh, it's it's our skeleton key that just unlocks the doors of everything uh, in every realm that helps us understand the world we live in. Um, and so it directs and drives us. But it's precisely here that I think it's needed for us to just double down on that topic. Uh, because, because this is the key to everything, I, I think it's wise for us to spend an extra week unpacking what that actually means. Um, I mean, I, I think... The question I want us to ask today is, yeah, but can we trust it? Can we actually trust God's Word? Um, and, and I think many times over the last year, the last couple years, um, I've had conversations with people who will say, you know, Christianity is, is fundamentally based on the Bible, and the Bible is written by men, and these are sinful men, they're flawed, and therefore, how can you trust it? It, it, it is written by, by human beings, and human beings are prone to wander, prone to sin, prone to get it wrong. And so how do we know that these sinful people didn't get it wrong? Or how do we know that they didn't change it over time to, to suit the needs that they wanted it to say? And so that, that's, that's, the, that's where we start going, yeah, but can I trust it? Can I believe it? And so I feel like a lot of people might say, like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible which is a very precarious position to put yourself in, isn't it? Right? Uh, the, the word of the day today is deconstruction. Yeah? Right? Like, everyone is deconstructing their faith right now, which I personally believe is actually a pretty good thing. Uh, I, I actually think if you, if, if you were to deconstruct your computer at your house and you took it apart, it help, it's helpful to understand how it works. Right? So you're taking it apart, you're going... Oh, okay, now that's how that works. That's what a hard drive is. You, you're starting to understand it a little bit, um, knowing a little bit, a little bit better, you have a deeper respect for the thing you're trying to study. And so I think many of us are pulling apart this belief system that we were raised in, and, and this is and we're, we're what we call deconstructing it, because this is what happens when you, the questions that you've pushed down all your life just begin to bubble up. And you go like, I've not asked I've not answered that question yet. I don't want to answer that question yet. And so what happens is we're now having to stare honestly at our doubts. And so I hope that's what we do here today, that we can stare honestly at our doubts. Um, I, I saw this on Twitter earlier this week. Uh, someone on their online dating profile wrote, I'm a Christian, but a love your neighbor kind, not a storm the capital kind. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, uh, uh, <laughs> if that was on your dating profile, like, oh, goodness. <laughs> but it's also just really sad. That, that needs to be said, right? <laughs> like, uh, and so as we disentangle Christianity from our cultural norms, uh, it, it, feels like, it feels like we're like a gardener pulling up weeds, and so we're, we're trying to clean up this garden, we're pulling up the weeds, we're going, well, this doesn't belong. And sometimes as we pull up those weeds, the weeds are intertangled with the roots of the actual plant, and the plant gets pulled up too. 
And so now the plant is suffering because we did this deconstruction process. Um, and so that we're, and that's just a scary place to be for many of us. Like some of us, it feels like our whole world is just coming apart right now. Right? Like when this happens, like when you do take apart your computer, if you've ever done that before, or you've taken apart something, and you just have cords, and you have pieces lying all over your living room floor going, well, this is cool. Now I understand how it works. How do I put it back together? <laughs> I think that's where we find ourselves. How do I now put this thing back together? <laughs> cool, I think I understand how it works, but I don't know if it's going to work anymore. We've deconstructed things, and we now ask to have to ask, well, what do we build our faith on? Where do we start? And so as we disentangle all these cultural norms from Scripture, we want to know where do we go. And I think many of us are in this boat this very second. Who do I believe? Who can I trust? And that's where we're going to go today. And so our, our outline for today is what we, what we believe, how is it beautiful, and how does this change how we live? What we believe, how is it beautiful, and how does this change how we live? And so what do we believe? We believe sola scriptura. It's Latin, uh, for it, it means scripture alone. But even that phrase, left alone, can be misleading. Yes? Because if our question is, what's the best cookie recipe out there? And we answer, scripture alone. <laughs> awesome! All of our cookies are now made with milk and honey. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, oh, gosh. <laughs> Scripture says nothing about cookies. It says nothing about sugar, sadly. S sadly, all the book has to say, Proverbs has to say, is it's not good to eat much honey. <laughs> Thanks, Proverbs. Like, shut up. Back up. Like, I want my cookies, okay? So if we're asking these types of questions, then we're going to get disappointed, but if we're asking, what are we to believe about God? What do we believe about humanity and salvation? Then when we say scripture alone, that, that actually answers some of these questions. It's the final authority. It has the most power here. And this is the whole thrust of the passage that we had just read. Peter, who reminds us, if we didn't already know, that he was an, an eyewitness to Jesus and to the whole account there. And, and so some have, may have been making the argument, well, yeah, like Peter and the apostles are, are just trying to build their own religion. They're trying to build their own brand, their own kingdom. And so it's really just helping them. And so this is all really just a myth that we're, they're trying to just pull over our eyes. And, and Peter responds in verse 17, no, <laughs> we heard a voice from heaven <laughs> saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, right? Like this... Peter's trying to say, no, don't doubt that. We, heard, we, we were there. We've seen amazing things. And then if we are to doubt that Peter was actually there, he claims to be there, well, then you have to wrestle with, well, why would he be willing to be crucified upside down for a lie? So, so Peter gets killed for believing this lie if he's trying to pull the wool over our eyes. So I don't think that's a very strong case. And we talked a little more about arguments last week, so we won't go there. But, but I think many today aren't even arguing the facts about the resurrection. I think we, a lot of maybe Christians are going, okay, yes, 
Yes, I, I believe in that. I believe in Jesus' divinity. Uh, what we're struggling with today is the book that we have today, man's word, or is it God's word? And Peter says it's both. In verse 21, it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a foundational verse. This is a wonderful verse. The, the word, it says, carried along, uh, is the same word that you would use for how a ship was, was pushed forward by the wind in its sails. It was carried along by the wind. And so as these human beings wrote, God was carrying them towards their destination. And so as they wrote, they were being carried. They were, they were not robots uh, they, they, they were not uh, you know, in, in like a trance and they're just like writing blindly or anything like that. They were writing. They had their personalities in it. You can, you can hear the different personalities of the different writers. But God guides them. Now, some of you may be hearing this and you're like, I've heard this before. And you feel like you're hearing an old pastor or someone saying, well, God said it. I believe it, and that settles it. <laughs> like, that's, that's how we're hearing this passage. You're like, oh, don't quote Second Peter. Oh, no. <laughs> or maybe you're hearing this, and you're like, I got no creed but Christ. Like, <laughs> that's what we're thinking. We're like, no, no, that's not what we mean. That's not what we're arguing. I don't know whose voice that was. Zach Galifianakis, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> that's not what we mean. Even the Reformers didn't mean that when they argued for sola scriptura. That's not what they meant. We, we are actually thankful for these outside of the Bible creeds, like the Nicene Creed. We're thankful for the Westminster Confession. We're, we're even thankful for historians and sociologists that, that give us context clues for what was happening in the day that the Scripture was written. Like, these are things that we want to pay attention to. That's, they're helpful. And so we're not going to deny that. What we're saying when we say sola scriptura is that we're saying these outside sources, sources and books and frameworks are helpful, but this is God's word. This is ultimate. These people were carried along by God himself. It is ultimate. And so this book is the answer at the back of the, of the book, of your math book, with all the odd questions. It's the secret. It's the key to it all. We know the end of the story through this book. And so this is our book that we would say is ultimate. And you say, well, okay, Peter said it, but that's, that's just Peter. Like, you can't trust Peter. He's kind of a rough figure. Like, yes, he is. But... <laughs> That's not just Peter. That's not just Paul. Jesus himself believes that God's word, the Bible, is actually God's word. In Jesus, in Matthew 5, 17, at, at the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, which is the smallest of all Hebrew letters, nor a dot, which is the smallest part of a Hebrew letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so Jesus is saying that all these prophets, what they're saying is trustworthy. You can, you can bank on it to the smallest little dot. It's true because it's God's word. And you can't take anything away from it. And you might say things like this now, and you may have heard this, but aren't there parts of the Bible that are just obsolete now? I mean, we read the Bible and we're like, Ooh, that's a little rough. There, you know, Bible seems to talk happily about polygamy. Uh, are we okay with that? And, and, and I want us to see here that we need to distinguish between what is descriptive and what is prescriptive in Scripture. 
there are certain things that the Bible describes, and it, it almost painfully is painfully honest about the, the description and the, and the fallenness of humanity, but is it prescribing it? And that's where you have to distinguish as you read passages here. You know, polygamy is never prescribed. It's never endorsed. It's just described. In fact, whenever you do see polygamy happen in the scriptures, what you see is how destructive its effects are. Well, what about misogyny in the Bible and the horrific ways that women are treated? And I would say absolutely, it's there. It is describing it. It is not prescribing it. We want to be very clear about that. The Bible describes all of humanity in our most heinous ways, and yet it's also pushing against the misogynistic culture. It's uplifting women's voices and empowering them in, in, in ways that subtly pushes against the culture in that day. And we see that, that that's important. And so then let's go back to our original question. But can we trust it? And I would say absolutely. For the Bible never just gives you what you want to hear. The Bible doesn't tell you what you want to hear, doesn't, doesn't paint things in a rose, a picture of humankind. It is brutally honest. And if you know anyone who's like a, a friend who just tells you what you want to hear, they say, no, you're great. Everything's great. What do you call those people? Fake? Yeah. You don't trust. Thank you. <laughs> Called out some few names now. <laughs> just say it. Just say it. <laughs> and we'll confess later. No. <laughs> We would say they're fake. We can't trust them. But the Bible is brutally honest. And so those are the people that are brutally honest with you. Don't just tell you what you want to hear. Tell you in love, hey, this is where you're erring. Those are the people that you can actually trust. And so I think the Bible is proving itself that it's being carried along. These authors are being carried along by God, telling you everything. And that's who I would want to trust. And so this is, this is what we believe. But how is it beautiful? We, we believe God is good. And so God's law in his word shows us something sweet and beautiful. And so God says to Peter, through Peter in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. And so God's word is, is a lamp in a dark place. And every morning I wake up just weirdly early, um, and, and I don't know why I do this, but I wake up oddly early before the light's even out there, and I don't know if you've got up in the middle of the night or you do get up early yourself, but when you wake up that early, there's no light, and so you need to grab a light, so you grab, I grab my cell phone as, as a light to kind of find my way, but sometimes I just wake up and I just think I'll just go without my light. You guys done this before? And in that moment, you start feeling around, like, all right, so here's the bed, Okay, there's, there's, the t there's the table. That means if I come over here, here's the bathroom, but I run into the wall, right? It's like, ah! <laughs> it's rough when you don't have a light. God's word is a light or a lamp in a dark place. So we're not left to just feel ourselves around going like, I don't know, what's God saying to me? Isn't that all? <laughs> like, what's beautiful about this is that God is actually speaking. You don't have to just figure it out. You don't have to go, I wonder what God wants from me today. I wonder what God's thinking. He gives us a lamp to light our path. And so we, we come completely blinded without, without this light. But this lamp shines in the darkness so we don't have to leave our, lead ourselves here. And so what we want to say is that we only know anything about God because God chooses to light that lamp for us. 
that God chooses to speak himself to us. And so we go to Scripture. But then there's the question, but what if, what if Scripture's confusing? What if it says things that are just way over my head and I, it doesn't feel like it's lighting anything? Uh, what if it says things that seem contradictory? And that's when we would say, let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let's let the lamp light itself. Let's let it, 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 it illuminate. And so just to be completely transparent, there's plenty of unclear passages in the Bible, <laughs> right? There's plenty of passages you go, I don't know what that means. Uh, or that's just a hard thing. The Bible itself says, oh, there's some pretty hard things in the scriptures, right? This is, this, is how it, this is true. And this is what you would expect. Like the Bible is not a how to build a birdhouse. Like, it's not saying, here's how to do this simple thing. It's describing the deepest mysteries of the universe. And so we should expect it to have some hard things in there. And it has, some, it has, has these authors who are writing history, different, different genres, history, some speaking prophetically about the future, some talking about the law, some about poetry. And it's, it's, it's almost too overwhelming. You're like, what, what am I reading today? It's also a cross-cultural document that is bringing together people across time, across continents, across, across cultures. It is, it's, of course, it takes a little bit more to understand it. And so one of the reasons that we, we have this value at Mosaic of being multicultural is because the Bible is multicultural. And to fully understand God and God's words, we need a multicultural setting to help unpack it because the Bible is multicultural. We don't get the full picture without multiple cultures here coming together. Different expressions bring it to life that we didn't know existed. Another beautiful thing about Sola Scriptura is that it, 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 I mean, it is a freeing thing. It frees us from the anxiety to hear a word from the Lord. Any of you feel that anxiety to say, like, oh, I need to hear from God? Like, if God speaks fully and with authority in his words, then we don't have to churn up a word from the Lord. We don't have to churn up a word ourselves to say this is what God is saying because he's spoken. And so I think in some certain church settings, there is this outside pressure upon you to truly hear from God. You need to have him speak to you to give you a word. And sometimes in our desire to fit in, to be well thought of, we beat ourselves up if we don't hear that word. And maybe we start faking it, going... I think the Lord said this to me. And maybe, maybe, maybe we get depressive about it and said, he's not speaking to me. I don't hear, I don't hear a voice from the Lord. And so it, it's, it's, it can be a crippling thing. And so one of the beautiful things about Sola Scriptura is it frees you and says, God has spoken. <laughs> he's spoken to you. You don't have to wonder what he's thinking what does he want from me? What's he doing in this world? He's speaking to us. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't still speak. We want to encourage prayer life. We want to encourage you talking back and forth to God. But, but what I'm wanting to say is very clearly is that God has spoken very clearly without a doubt. And so when we're saying, Lord, give me a light, give me a word, he gives us a floodlight. <laughs> he, gives us, he gives us all that we could ever ask for right here in this, this beautiful document. And so God speaks. Hallelujah. And so how does this beautiful doctrine of sola scriptura change how we live? One thing we want to ask each week in the series is, is how does this orthodoxy, you know, this, this right thinking, affect our orthopraxy, uh, right practice? 
And so we want to have orthodoxy, our right thinking, affect our, our, our practice, our right practice. And so if we align our thinking with the Bible, this should make for right actions. And so if the Bible is our final authority, this means one thing, I am not. If the Bible is the final authority, we need to say that I am not. That changes things drastically for you and I. Some people will say, yeah, I know God's word says this, <laughs> but I just feel like God wouldn't ever do that. I think if, if there was a God, he would have said it like this. And I think on one hand, I want to affirm you. I think you have been created in the image of God, and so you have God, God's very being written into you, and so there's, there's times you can kind of go into that and trust that and trust those instincts. But on the other hand, I think if you, if you heard, just follow your feelings where does that lead us? How has that worked out? Let's just do what feels right. And, and our, the problem is our feelings are just so contradictory to one another, aren't they? Like if you had, if you had a feeling like I, I wanted a great career, but I also want to marry this person, and those two seem to be in contradiction with one another, which feeling do you go with? It's not as clear. And, and, and so sometimes our, our feelings are just subjective. Other times they're, they're contradictory like that. Uh, but also our feelings change over time, right? Like, like this is true. If you look at back at yourself, like this, do you have the same hobbies that you had five years ago? Are you the same person five years ago, 10 years ago? I'm guessing a lot has changed for you over the last five to 10 years. Like you've probably grown, you've changed. It's natural, it's good. <laughs> and the same thing happens to our feelings about, about some things about some people, about some organizations I've changed my view on, right? These things, these things change. Like, the way I feel changes over time, and I, sometimes I want to just say, amen. Like, that's not a bad thing. That's, that, we call that growth. Like, and so if our feelings change all the time, we can't base our relationship with God based on our feelings or just how I feel. We need to come to Scripture and to the Alpha and the Omega, the first, the last, the one who does not change, and ask, what does God say is true? Likewise, what, if we say, like, I don't think this part of the Bible is, is true because it doesn't feel right, what we're really saying is we're in charge. Like, we're going to make the Bible bend to us instead of us to it. Like, what do we do when the Bible challenges you? What do you do when the Bible challenges you? Maybe you're feeling challenged right now. Like, well, I don't like this. Do we just ignore the Bible? Do we ignore that part? I, I, I love all the things the Bible says about love, but I... But, I don't love all of some of the, the judgments it has. Um, maybe there's times where you've said, like, I just want the Bible to love all the people I love and hate all the people I hate. Well, okay, now we're going to make the Bible and God into our own idol. We're making it into ourselves. We're making the Bible fit exactly what we want it to be. If the Bible affirms everything you ever believe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we're twisting the Bible to bend to us. Do you have friends who, who, who just affirm everything you believe? We just talked about this before. These, these are the hollow, fake friends. They could be sycophants. But we want true friends to give us the real truth. And so when the Bible says sex is for marriage alone, and we feel like, that's ah, just so archaic. Like, doesn't God want me to be happy? And we would say, well, yes, but he wants you to also be holy. Like, we, we, do we tune our hearts to match God? Are we asking God to tune his hearts to match ours? all of us need to be willing to be challenged by Scripture, me included. 
I need to be able to come to the Word afresh and say, where am I wrong? Where have I misinterpreted Scripture? And I think that's a really hard thing to do, especially for people who, like myself, who are supposed to have it all figured out. And so we can get stuck in our ways, but we need to be able to come to Scripture and say, where am I wrong? And, and my views have grown and have changed over the last couple years. I'm on a journey like many of you. I've had to say, I thought God was this way, but now I, see, I study the Scriptures and look at some of the context. I'm seeing things a little bit different. And since our hearts aren't trust, trustworthy and our emotions change all the time, what do we do? Well, we have sola scriptura <laughs> telling us, while your hearts and your emotions may not be trustworthy, the Bible is. And here's the best example of it. In 1 John 3, oh, this is so beautiful. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Oh, Lord. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. I mean, how many times have you felt like a fake? How many times have you felt unworthy to even call yourself a Christian? I think many of us, we feel like we have to put on a mask even as we walk into these doors. We have to look more Christian than we actually are. We have to have our family look better kept than they actually are. We feel like we have to put on a show. We don't feel welcome. We don't feel welcomed by God, and our hearts are condemning us the whole time. And so all the time, I think we can feel this weight and this guilt that I'm not doing enough, that I'm not growing enough, that I'm not, that I'm not growing fast enough, that I'm not reading my scriptures, I'm not applying them in the right way, maybe I'm misinterpreting them. All the while, I feel like the scriptures are just weighing me down. And we feel not loved, and we feel not accepted and I would say, why is that? And some might say, well, that's because you're going to church. Church makes you feel not loved. That's because the Bible makes you feel not accepted. That's how Mark Twain thought of the Bible. There's this famous quote by Mark Twain where he has this image of, of this giant Bible in his nightmare, this giant Bible that was sitting on his chest, just crushing him. And he says, in my nightmares, I gasped and struggled for breath under the crush of that vast book for many a night. Can you relate to that? And so as we lay there with the Bible squeezing the life out of us, why would we ever want to read it? Why would we ever hope in it? Why would we ever believe it? And if we think of the Bible like that, of course we don't want to read it. Of course, of course it doesn't sound like the God that we know. But 1 John 3 says, God is greater than our hearts. Our hearts condemn us. Other people condemn us. But what about this book? It's not that. Yes, it has the law that we need to bend our wills to. Yes, it, has, it tells us about our sins. But the main thing this book is about isn't about our sins, but it's about a Savior. The subject of the Bible from beginning to end is one hero, and we're not it. And that's great news. His name is Jesus, and there's this amazing conversation that's happening after Jesus has been resurrected. He, he, he comes to his disciples who are on the road to this town called Emmaus, and they're, they're, they're having this conversation, and, and, and they start talking to Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus yet, and he starts playing coy with them, and he's like, what's been happening? <laughs> they're like, 
Where, what planet are you from? How do you not know about this? Are, are you the, they say, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know what's happened? And then in verse 19, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Basically, they're saying, maybe that's all he was. It's just a prophet. And Jesus finally steps in and says, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And then in verse 27, this is the great, one of the best verses. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. <laughs> How do you understand the Bible? Jesus tells you, beginning with Moses, the law, all the prophets interpreted all of that of things concerning himself, that they were all talking about Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That, that was a liberating thing for me. It made the Old Testament come alive to me when I first learned about this. That, that if you want to read the Bible as an instruction book on how to be a good person, you miss the thrust of the story. If you want to read it as just a way to help you prepare for the future, you miss who it's pointing back to. Every part of Scripture points to, or backwards to, Jesus. The Scriptures tell us what Jesus is going to do, yes, but it's also telling about what He's done, and what He's done because of our sins. Yes, they tell you your need for them, but they also tell you how He supplied that need. It's all about Jesus, not me. And so sola scriptura means that God, the God revealed in Scripture, is the God revealed in Jesus Christ. The reason that we can trust, this is be, because we can know that we can trust Jesus. How can we trust the Bible because it's about Jesus? How can we trust Jesus? Because he is, he's the, the epitome of God's love for us. I trust the scriptures because I trust the God of the scriptures, and I trust the God of the scriptures because he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ, the great Savior. That's who I trust. That's who is trustworthy. Not a lot of people are trustworthy, but you can trust that. Don't just follow your heart because your heart can condemn you. Trust Jesus. Well, so how should this orthodoxy affect our orthopraxy? Well, two things we've already said. Bend your hearts to be in tune with God's word. Let the scriptures speak louder than your hearts. And then thirdly, make a practice of regular listening and reading to God's word. If I never talked to Kristen, my wife, but I just said, well, I'm doing house chores for her. She should know that I love her. Would things go well? You, you can't have a relationship with someone unless you talk to them. And God is saying, I'm talking to you in this book. Let him speak. Talk with him. And when God speaks, think about this. As we, as we just looked at in Genesis, galaxies are formed. Like, God says, let there be light. And he doesn't go over there and screw in a light bulb. <laughs> He says, let there be light, and a giant sun explodes. Like, his word is power. His word, his, the word of God is powerful. Hebrews says that it's living and active. Just hearing the word, it acts upon you. It can harden you or it can soften you. But it is powerful. His speech is action. It is the power to act. God's words are not just old dusty words by old dead people. <laughs> They're alive. <laughs> they are powerful. 
And so let them act upon you. Let them stir you up, challenge you, comfort you, because it's alive. And I think, let me say this, we'll end with this. Just think about this way. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, when he went into the wilderness, what did he rely on in those times? In those moments, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, and the devil said, well, I'll give you all these riches of the world, Jesus' response was, Gigraptai, which means, it is written. And he quotes the Old Testament. In his darkest moment, when he needs, he's all the power in the world, he comes to the word, it is written, because that word is, has power within it, and it acts. <laughs> And so wherever you're at this morning, whether you've taken apart the computer and you don't know what's what, whether you want to burn the whole thing down, or you, you just want to, you're starting to ask questions, I want to say, let Scripture guide you through this process and disentangling it all. If you're fighting sin, if you're fighting disbelief, if you're even fighting to believe that God loves you, gegroptai, it is written. Let God's work speak louder than your hearts and see the beauty of the story of Scripture. Let's pray.